Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. What I want to talk about today with Onyx in respect to the Onyx Hunt app is talking about the different overlays that you can put on from the topographic maps to the aerial view to the hybrid view. So the two that I use the most, um, I'm going to talk specifically to mountain bucks and it does apply to hunting out west, but for whitetails, I'm using the, the topographical layer to identify different terrain features and also the hybrid layer, which kind of combines the two, the best of both worlds. But I still like using the regular topos to get a, you know, more of a clear view of, you know, different benches off of points where bucks might be bedded or benches along ridge where the deer might run instead of being all the way up on the top and things like that. So being able to, you know, scroll, be able to go back and forth, even when you're offline without service to be able to switch back and forth is really cool and uh you know an awesome feature that everyone that's using the app should utilize so if you want to check out the onyx hunt app use the coupon code emw to save yourself 20 percent off at onyxmaps.com so maven optics and so maven you know has come out with the highest quality optics available you know, at half the price of their competitors using their direct-to-consumer business model. And uh, the model that I'm using specifically for elk hunting and western hunting, we'll talk with binoculars, and I'm using the 9x45s, the B2 model. Just the, the Abbey Koenig prism design that they have in there is so good for low light and just being able to have a wider field of view. I prefer, you know, doing something like a, a nine by 45 rather than doing something like a 12 by magnification, something along those lines for elk hunting. And the reason for that is I like the wider field of view, I like to be able to see as much as possible. And if I need to get, you know, a closer view for something, which I normally, you know, don't is unless I'm really trying to check out the the caliber of deer elk I'm looking at is I could, you know, pull out the spot and scope, but normally that nine power is great for that. So if you want to head over to mainbuilt.com, check out their options. You can use the coupon code East meets West dash gift, get yourself a free gift with any optics order. And if you have any questions on the different optics or any of the ones I use, feel free to shoot me a message on Instagram, Facebook, email, whatever's easiest, and I'll be happy to answer that and you know run through that with you. And the University of Elk Hunting, so Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have put together the most fully comprehensive elk hunting learning course available. And with, you know, in addition to that course, they're going to be launching the Destination Elk YouTube series, and that'll be launching on YouTube in November, going through their entire September and I think even into October, some of their hunts, you know, from archery to even add rifle hunting into this year. And really what's nice about it, it's not only entertaining, but it also is very informative and breaks down a lot of their processes, why they're doing it. And it can be really helpful to learn from that. 
So if you want to check out the University of Elk Hunting online course, you can use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save yourself 20% off at elk101.com. And lastly, so before we, you know, jump into this episode here, which is the last one of the Idaho Elk Hunt series. So I hope everyone enjoyed the series. I'd love to hear your feedback, positive or negative. It really helps to kind of see what kind of podcast that I'll, you know, put out in the future. I had a lot of fun recording these ones with the guys. I hope that they're, you know, helpful and inspiring, but also entertaining a little bit at the, you know, for the most part. And this episode is really going to dive into, you know, the final days of the hunt, as well as, you know, what worked, what didn't, you know, from our tactic side of things, from our personal side of things to the gear. And I think there's a lot of takeaways out of this one. Justin, uh, Michael, and myself are the ones going to be, you know, talking on this episode. So check that out. And uh, like I said, your feedback is welcome. And if you would head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast at and leave a rating and a review that helps out so much. And I greatly appreciate all that feedback. All right, well, let's uh, jump into this episode here. And the last one of the Idaho Elk Hunt series before we get serious about whitetails. You know what the sound of that means? It is the last day, last evening of Elk Camp 2019 in Idaho. And I'm sitting here around the non-existent fire with Michael Palladino and Justin Mueller. Mason is missing from the event right now, so it's just going to be us three on the mic. To recap the last, I guess, about four days, we haven't uh, done a podcast here. Yeah, it's been a couple days, a little slower than most, but it'll be good just kind of to recap them all. Yeah. Yeah, Justin, what's going on with you? Not a lot. We finally got everything done um, for the film that we needed. Bo and I took an afternoon or attempted an afternoon uh, to shoot some some other stuff that I needed, shoot some audio, shoot some scenic stuff, and we got it all wrapped up, and I'm pretty excited to see how it all turns out. Yeah, and you did uh, crash your drone. <laughs> I did, yeah. I was, uh, well, we were flying it for like 20 minutes, and I'm not even going to make up an excuse. I saw this this two rocks, you know, that kind of, there was a gap in there, and I thought, I'm going to thread the needle in there and get a cool shot, you know, so I... I put the drone, I threw it, flew it through straight once and it was good. And then I tried to spin it through to get a good scenic shot. And I put it right into the backside of a cliff and yeah, nothing broke though. So that was really good. Yeah. Video of it's pretty cool. The yeah. It was really cool. <laughs> knowing where he had to get it, not happening. Yeah. It would have been a off. Yeah. <laughs> it was not. I mean, I got really lucky. Usually when you crash a drone like that, it's, you lose all the footage, you lose everything, but just yeah. got hung up in a tree and I had to climb up and go get it well that that was the worst part that was my drone it would have been gone because it literally was i don't know 800 feet maybe higher up in the, onto a cliff and justin went running to go get it i'm like why is he sprinting i'm like i'll sit here and glass him make sure he doesn't fall <laughs> you know, thanks flag him into it uh no i lost track of him pretty oh. quick. <laughs> very helpful so so justin climbs up and he's running i'm like what the hell is he running for what i didn't know was that his drone will tell will tell him through his phone and the controls the gps coordinates where it's at 
but his battery was about to die. And once the battery dies, he'd have no idea where it was. So he climbed all the way up through these cliffs, all this stuff. And finally, um, I text him, dude, you're right. Nothing, nothing. <laughs> he Then he calls me. Hey, man, can you see me up here? I'm looking, looking. He's like, no, higher. (laughs) Holy hell. He's hanging off the side. He's up there, way up there. He's like, is there an easier way down? I was like, doesn't look like any way down to me. But uh, so anyways, he came out the way that he came. Drone was fine. Everything was good. And uh, I think the film's going to turn out pretty good. I hope so, man. I think everything I've went through looks good. I hate you know saying things are going to look good until you you actually get it all put together. But I'm, I'm confident in how it looks. And... The shot was good. All the the camaraderie around camp is good, and that, that's what makes a good film is that kind of stuff. So, do you do you want to uh, give any preface as far as how it's going to be released, or should we keep that a secret? Um, or uh, how we're pl- looking to plan to release it? It's up to you. If, if yeah. You oh, it. you got to go. For Let's it put it on yeah. the line. Yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna submit the film. Justin's gonna put it together and submit it to the Badlands Film Festival, and hopefully, it makes the final featured films to get played on the big screen uh, one of the nights after the ATA show in Louisville this year. No, it's in uh, Indianapolis. It's in Indianapolis. Yep. It's back in Indianapolis. So hopefully that it uh, makes the cut there, and I'd like to think that it will. I mean, Justin just put together, made the film look extremely badass from the raw footage that I've seen. So I'm pretty pumped for it. It's pretty cool not having any uh, photography skills, film skills to see it kind of come together the way it is. Having no background in it and seeing what goes into it to get it to where it is. And he's like, man, I'm thinking about doing it this way, thinking about putting this here, stitching it together like this. I was like, this is going to be pretty freaking cool. Like I kind of expected the A to Z style, just this is what happened, this is where it is. And and that's not skill. So this, the way it's coming together, just by the looks of it, is going to be pretty freaking cool. I'm yeah, excited for it. For, for me, you know, just to go back a little more, the film fest, like picture, a, like, you know, you rent out a movie theater, right? That holds, what, 3,000, 2,000, 3,000 people? And that it's yeah. all hunters, photographers, you know, everyone that I want to be watching this. So for me, even before we had this hunt planned, I knew I wanted to get a film in there. I knew I wanted to try to put something together. So I've been really thinking about this a long time, so... You know, I kind of, uh, like Michael just said, it's not going to be an, an A to Z, day one to day, whatever. It's going to be, I kind of have a few ideas cooking. I ran them by Bo, and, and Bo and I have bounced ideas off of each other to to meet in the middle and find something we both are going to like and yeah. go from there. And what was cool for me was, I so I have I've been filmed before, but never filmed on a hunt. And I was really worried going in without knowing Justin until I got to, to know him and stuff because I am... I, I do not like things that are, um, you know, fake looking or anything like that. And it was cool because Justin and I agreed the film is going to be very raw from the standpoint of from a there's not <laughs> everything's how it yeah, happened. We didn't shoot anything extra. There was no reenactments. Nope. It's just like this is what happened, and I think that's a really cool. Uh, you know, part of it. And I love cinematic films. Like, so for anyone that's listening for, to, you know, kind of give a reference to cinematic, think of like Donnie Vincent films, things like that. And, you know, things that are, you know, not just, just killing shit, you know, it's, well, if it, if it was just filming me killing shit, we'd probably have a 
not very many films put out. <laughs> but uh, that's uh, Justin would have signed up with the wrong guy. Yep, yep. yep. <laughs> so him and I hit it off on that, and and were able to kind of put together a, a layout, mostly with him and me kind of agreeing or you know tweaking things as we went. And I think that I think it's going to turn out pretty cool. Yeah, I have a couple ideas. I think I'm actually going to cut like two different versions of it and then send it all to you guys and you know let you break my heart on it and tell me all the things you like and hate and we can basically make a final draft that everyone is happy with and everyone loves and that'll be it and hopefully it you know gets selected for the big screen yeah and then after that we'll release it on youtube so january the first week of january is when that badlands film festival would take off so if we make it to that that's when it would release there and then hopefully really soon after we'll following go, week or yeah we'll yep. throw it up on youtube and and have it for everyone else's viewing pleasure hopefully yeah definitely so like good. i said if anybody's listening to us this is th- the way it's shaping up and from what I've seen just around camp, I know how the hunt went and where it took place and what took place. It It's super scenic around here, so it's a good background for a good little short film. Uh, I definitely think this is going to be a, a really cool video to watch. Um, I, I personally like shorter YouTube hunt films. Uh, I get myself, I find myself lost in like a 20-minute ordeal. And just the way this is sounding to be shaping up, I think this is going to be a good a good solid video have you ever submitted something to badlands before i appreciate the kind words and i have not no i I was going to last year but i didn't have i had kind of something that i i put together that wasn't i don't know i just wasn't happy with it and with that crowd of people there i didn't want to show something that i wasn't proud of Mm -hmm. so i just decided not to so this will be my first year submitting and and bo and i talked so basically they get all these submissions i couldn't tell you the number but they get a bunch of submissions of films and they pick uh they call them the featured films to show so you know if you make the cut you'll make the big screen and there's a lot of talent there. So just for this film to be selected and shown, I don't even care if we get dead last place. I just To be on the same screen as some of these other producers and other companies would be a huge honor for me. So yeah. that's my goal. Just putting it together for the Badlands Film Festival is going to be, I think, just a good process for both of you guys to get to go through. Because I know it's Bo's first go at being filmed. Yeah. And now hearing Justin's first go at being at putting that out there to that that level. I think this is a great first start to, to yeah. getting something rolling. Yeah, I'd definitely be lying if I said I wasn't nervous as hell about it. You know, I I've been looking through my footage and just making sure I have everything for days now. And I, you know, we're now we're on the last day, so it's like, well, it is what it is. But we've been working hard for it. And I think we have everything we need, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see how that turns out. So, what do you think, guys? You want to recap um, the last few days? And I think we have one name that can kind of <laughs> recap this and it's a uh, it's about a bull we talked about this on the last episode this five by five that has been giving us the slip coming out and we're making moves and almost hunting like a white tail ambushing them and well good old don bolio, don bolio. Don bolio. <laughs> i don't know how michael and i are sitting up on the mountain semi-delirious at that point and I just sitting there laughing to myself. I'm like, like, like quietly because we're sitting there like right outside Don oh. Bolio's bedroom. And we got ourselves up into where we thought he was for the hundred millionth time. <laughs> and Bo and I are waiting on him. And and literally, we know we went to bed in this clump of trees. It was one of those situations. We knew we were in the right spot. We had good wind. Everything was going to work out well, except they weren't talking. There's no real good sign that they were still in there. And Bo is just giggling to himself, like busting at the seams, choking because he's laughing, but he can't laugh. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, 
what? I whispered to him, like, what are you laughing at? And he goes, I got a name for him. And out of nowhere, like, it, it, there's no context for it, just Dom Bolio. And we start geeking out laughing just because we're, <laughs> how many days in, how many hundred, not hundred miles on this thing, but miles on this thing, hours on him. And he's like, Dom Bolio. And I just freaking cracked up. I was like, well, no chance seeing him today. <laughs> I thought it was funny when you guys came back to camp that night. I could just see the smirks on your face. You had something to tell me. And sure enough, yeah. Dom Bolio. Well, I did Bolio. put the slip on us that night again. Yeah. And then we had a couple other encounters with him since then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the whole scheme of Dom Bolio here has been, I know for sure, how many days have we been here? 13? 12. 12 days, and we've seen them nine times in, one, two, I think five different basins. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. There's like five the drainages, drainages in one basin. Yes. Yeah. So we've seen them in five different drainages, and he just keeps showing up different places, going to bed in different places, coming out in different places, and we're like, yep, we got them today. We know where we went to bed. We know where he's going to come out. And it just, as it goes in hunting, he doesn't. And it's actually like not we're trying to hunt him. It just it always happens. We find him where we're at, and it's it's like, well, are you kidding me? There's Don on the yeah. hill. It's yeah, like a well personal vendetta with him. Like he's just been giving us a slip. He's been so freaking visible to us from where we're glassing at, but just giving us a straight slip. I know good hunters listening to this are like, come on, guys, nine dimes you've seen him, but. This is still elk hunting. This is still public land that gets pressure. And it just is one of those things that our experience level just hasn't got us on him. He's been full drawn on twice. I was going to say, you guys have been close. Yeah, we've had him 34 yards full draw. Mason's had him full draw. We've had him. One thing or another always occurs as hunting normally goes. Yep. Well done. And the, the coolest thing about Don is <laughs> <laughs> we're, not, we're not sure if he's just a, a player with the ladies, but just is not good at fighting or what? Because he'll show up one day, he's got five, six cows. The next day he's got 19, 20. Holy shit, he's a herd bull. He's looking good on that he's day looking with 19. Good. Next day, he shows up zero cows. He just got, and Michael, you watched him get I his ass kicked. I watched him get his ass whooped by a raghorn. Just a raghorn took off through this terrible meadow. I, I don't know why it's called a meadow. It's not, but a terrible area, and just cleaned his clock up and down this hillside. And I'm like, holy crap, this bull really is getting his butt whooped by a raghorn. The next night, he has 19 cows. Yeah. We're like, where did that come from? Night. That night he got all his cows <laughs> stolen from. Yeah. I don't know, man. He's he's got something going for him that we're not sure about. But he's pulling he's pulling the women in and he's losing them just as quick as he got them. Maybe yeah. he's a cowboy. I don't know. Yeah. He's yeah. just he just he's gone by the morning. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been it. Nineteen cows at night, none in the morning, no commitment. What a guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a guy. I do hope. I do hope he's spreading the Don Bolio to these these cows because this bull is just one of those funny, very easily noticed, known, easily to pick from. It's one of those things that like we just, after you're here for so long at camp and stuff, you just come up with these funny things to laugh about. And that's just kind of been the Don Bolio has been the story of this hunt. And uh, 
since then we've heard other bugles. We but they've been very sporadic. That ever since you had that rut fest day yeah. that we talked about in the last episode with Don Bolio getting his ass kicked by the raghorn and the six by six and the six by eight and the other six by six, all this stuff going on. It it's been slow bugling wise. We got some hot weather in eighty five degrees in the day, which it was hot the day I shot mine, but it took a while to get hot. Where it's been hot early yeah we, we've been getting some major heat here the last three days hunting water hasn't worked i mean we've sat water thinking that's going to be where they're at that hasn't worked uh we've chased bugles we we've went bed to bed uh we've done the different strategies that you'd think you should be trying and and just i, I mean i've had the other night i had a couple bugling got in on them where i thought i was going to be making some making some good moves and once again, something happened. I don't know if the wind switched, which I really don't think. This wind is pretty prominent out of the uh, one direction here and just really pushing through here. And I just, it, for some reason, I don't know what it is. The rut didn't fully just, that day I thought we were going to be golden from here on out. I just thought we were going to be chasing bugles. You'd be able to hunt them as you'd always think of. And it, we just had to fall back on ambush, spot stock, water sit. Hunting quiet bulls so is not easy. Yeah, so I think there was a couple different factors that kind of played in there from the standpoint of the hot weather that kicked in. And also, when you had that rough fest, that was on Friday, and we had a, we did have a lot of hunting pressure on the weekend. Yeah. Since then, we haven't had much. Mm-hmm. But it, up until that point, we had a lot of hunting pressure, and the bulls just went silent on us, really. that They might bugle a couple times from their bed, and, and then that was it. And... The way the terrain is here with a bunch of nooks and crannies and just like there's not like these giant ridges and ridge lines and basins. There's a whole bunch of little points coming out and saddles here and all this stuff. And it's hard to hear bugles unless you're big time on them, you know. Yesterday, Bo was on the hillside completely adjacent to us. And Mason and I were up hunting and thought we were in where we where bulls were bedded. And just bugling, trying to get some, just just honestly, almost Hail Marys. And like, Bo, did you hear any bugles? He's like, nope. I'm like, I could see where he was. How didn't he hear us bugling? And that's just the way this terrain is. It gets knocked down, you know, pushed down a drainage, whatever it is. You have to, if you if you hear a bugle, you're probably on them. You're, yeah. you're, and well, and I did hear a bugle, but oh, yeah, I'm right. pretty sure Not the right that side of the hill. Well, yeah, and I'm pretty sure that it was a guy because the chainsaw started up 20 minutes later <laughs> from a similar location. So uh, that's and yeah, it was it's it's just been one of those things, and and you know, so that's been you and Mason kind of chasing around them. Mason uh, Mason had an encounter with the raghorn. Yeah, yep, Cliff yeah, up here. Eating, yep. eating a eating a. A granola bar. Yeah, yeah I couldn't come to full draw because he was eating a granola bar. <laughs> he said him and the raghorn caught eyes at the same time, and they're like, oh, shit. And uh, it it ran, but it wasn't spooked because it didn't win them. It just saw something, didn't like. And he cow called it back it. in twice, twice, and the vitals recovered both times. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get a shot. And uh, he had a death climb to get up there, probably over 3,000 feet elevation gain to get up to the top and uh, just hasn't. Hasn't really got into it. And it's definitely not 3,000 feet over a stretch of period of time. It's 3,000 feet right now, bottom to top, 3,000 feet of a climb. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Yeah, I never had to make that hike personally, but just looking at it, I think I'll be all right. Yeah, I've I've woken up in the morning and know he left an hour before me, and I look like, oh, wonder if he made it. Yeah. Glad I'm not doing that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we did that 15-hour sit yesterday, dark to dark, 
Oh, that's a hike up in there too. Uh, dark to dark, didn't see anything. Yeah, you went. Yeah, water, you went. Right? You yeah, went, we yeah. water sat. Went to where I killed my bull. Yep. Yeah, just down a little bit from where Bo killed his bull. Sat dark to dark on water. Uh, nothing. Uh, hiked out, saw about a dozen doe. Uh, a mule deer that are. Um, and and that was the end of the day yesterday. That was just a long day, long hike. Not like a morale booster by any means because we've had a great trip. We're just like, how did we not see something? It's 65, 70 degrees up on the top of the mountain. Hot. And nothing came in. And and then while you guys are doing that, so I was, I was with you for most of the time. But the last couple of days, I decided to do a little bit of mule deer hunting and kind of broke off. And it's funny that last week... When I'm elk hunting with you guys, we're seeing mule deer bucks. And Michael, you told me you're like, I shoot the buck. There, we had a three by three at 50 yards. I ranged them. We're right whispering side. to each other. Yeah, yeah. Justin, you were there, there too. Yeah. So it was Mason. All four of us. <laughs> yeah, we were. And, yeah, all four right. of us standing there like, Duh. yeah. And uh, you're like, shoot it. And I'm like, no, we're elk hunting. We got an elk bugle. Well, we here. had that one ripping. We were yeah. making a move on them, so it was just a bad, bad time. And I'm like, no, him. no, no. Dude, we've been seeing bucks like, and they weren't, they're nothing giant. We haven't seen any big bucks really. The four by four, that maybe four by 100 four stock was the biggest 130 That's, inches, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Which, um, believe me, I'm not being picky whatsoever with mule deer. I've never killed a buck, and I'm not gonna pretend that I'm a, a trophy hunter with them. But I'm like, I got time, I got time. That's the worst thing you could ever say to yourself is you got time because when I started hunting them here the last few days. I can't find a mule deer buck to save my life. We are glass in some of the most beautiful country first light. Maybe I'm just not good behind the glass, but I couldn't turn up a buck whatsoever. Well, we were up on our little glassing knob up here, and I got up there probably an hour before Bo did the one night, and I was checking for Don Bulio. That was my main goal, but then I also wanted to find some muleys on the backside um, of the canyon. There's just this beautiful rock face up there, and there's trees around the base, and I mean, it's just it's there's shade up there, and it was kind of hot that day. And I thought, man, there's got to be something bedded up in those in that shade up there. And I just I picked it apart for four hours, and I didn't see a single elk or a single muley. Yeah, but it, it it always is that way. Yeah, I mean, I've never been hunting and been like, yep, today's the day I'm going to shoot a doe, like in the whitetail woods. I'm shooting a doe today. I've seen doe every single day i've been in here i tell myself i'm shooting a doe the does don't show up and it, it always <laughs> happens that way but that's hunting yeah it, it's it is funny how that is and no I'm, I'm i'm good with it i mean i'm i'm happy i got you know elk meat to to be able to bring back and everything but it was just it was just funny how that worked out and then yesterday i just kind of took a hail mary just walking through the timber slow kind of pennsylvania whitetail hunting in a little bit kind of still hunting through and usually i at least jump a few deer whether i'm able to get a shot or not it's nothing i didn't jump anything i didn't see any deer pretty sure i saw a mountain lion in a cave but that's about it <laughs> <laughs> oh well how about the michael's walking back to camp one night came oh, yeah. down the road and michael hitchhiking basically got 100 oh, hitchhiking guy yeah. picked him up drops him off at camp michael's like hey well, no, we've been seeing the game commission and stuff from camp or the Idaho fishing game and uh, driving up and down. Every two, three days. Yeah, and it's it's been like, what's, you know, what's kind of going on here? They patrol the area hard, and one of the guys that's been hunting here for a while is like, no, we like never see him up in here. And this guy that picked up Michael, you can kind of take over the story from there. Yeah, so Bo was supposed to pick me up. Didn't. 
So then I <laughs> my way back. <laughs> I thought I saw well, his headlamp. No, no, no. Actually, I told you I was going to, but we saw yeah, a headlamp yeah. coming. It was Mace. We thought it was you. Yeah. And actually, when you got dropped off, I was heading into my car. That's right. But, yeah. Yeah. We were a little late to say the least. But yeah, so I'm hitchhiking <laughs> from this guy. I can't remember his name, but just a older gentleman cruising the roads out just on a cruise, going back to his elk camp that he's staying at. Uh, he, he actually lives in the town down from us here. And he's like, yeah. We killed the cow the other day. We packed it out. It was three of us. We packed half of it out. We were going back in for the other half. And we noticed that there were uh, mountain lion tracks in our tracks. And they're like, oh, boy, that's not what we want. So they backed out, and we're going to go back in the morning to get their their elk in the morning when it was daylight. And somewhere amongst that, they made the connection that they were getting a lot of cattle kill, cattle loss. There's a – they um, – free range cattle up over in that unit and so when they realized that they kind of maybe put two and two together got a hold of whoever you have to get a hold of for that situation and the game commission i'm going to call them fishing game commission here i think is what they are ended up hiring and hired out a what what is that government Government shooter a government hunter to come hunt and track and i think I, i would bet run dogs on the cat and uh, that's what they've been doing the past week and a half, trying to get this mountain lion that's been just decimating the cow herd over there, which I guess mountain lion just killed the kill. I don't know. Is that something they're known for? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. If I were to guess, I mean, if you're if you're a mountain lion, how easy is the cattle to prey instead oh, of an elk? Goodness. You know, yeah. they're just out here grazing in the wide open, and there's there's cows and calves of all sizes out here for them to get. So yeah. why wouldn't you? And so now, with that being said, when I'm walking through the woods and I see a cave and I see like somewhat of a white face inside that cave, automatic mountain lion. He's tracking me. He's coming. So I'm ready. And uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of the- There wasn't a mountain lion. No, yeah. there was nothing in the cave. <laughs> there was 100%. <laughs> that mountain lion was so damn big, I couldn't even honestly use a record, but I, I just didn't want to fill my tag yet, so I kept going. <laughs> yeah, uh, sure, that's what it was. Uh-huh. But anyways, that's kind that's been kind of the gist of the end of the trip here. Um, between, so out of the four hunters in camp, including John, who I had on the, one of the podcasts here recently, two of the four of us killed bull elk with you and Mason being at full Full draw multiple times. Yep. So I'd say it's a pretty damn successful hunt. What would you say? A hundred percent. I know coming out here, um, we kind of discussed what we were looking for goal, uh, for this trip and unselfishly, but kind of with the best interest in the group, I was very hopeful Bo got a bull knowing what he's had into this. And me personally being more, I would consider myself, I just really enjoy the tactics of mule deer hunting and kind of just wanted to get back out West and kind of get back into it. I was like, if I don't kill a bull, it's not the end of the world, but I know if Bo doesn't kill a bull, if Bo doesn't kill a bull, it's going to be a bad day in camp. What what's no happening way. here? I'm, I'm not seeing say it. that. Yeah, I think what? we're gonna have to. Michael, what did you just <laughs> witness? That's no. what I was pointing at over here. Did you yeah. guys hear me laughing? No. I gotta get a video of that. that. Bo, when you looked at me earlier and I was looking past you, that's what was happening back here. I was trying to get your attention to show there you. There are cows walking down the road over here by camp and just mounting each other <laughs> by <our> camp. <laughs> that was a calf mounting the mother. <laughs> 
Uh, that nothing else unreal. to do up here. In the mountains, I'm so I guess, glad. Right? Almost to just like jaw drop. Like no. The way Michael, the way you perked up and pointed at that, I thought there was a, a 350 bull coming down the hill. You yeah. looked so excited. Looked over there's just two cows <laughs> riding each other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, oh well, man. Anyways, but yeah, so I was so glad when Bo <laughs> killed the bull because not to say he would have been grumpy the whole trip because he wouldn't have been, but it would have been like, oh man, another trip, another all this. So when Bo killed, it was the biggest weight off. I know Mason, myself, Bo, and then knowing Justin's here to get that, the whole that right in itself. I I felt like this is a, a successful trip. Uh, then we're fifty percent on elk, a hundred percent on opportunities. A very almost all of us have gotten stocks and or chances on mule deers if we wanted. Um, I know I had a nice four by four that I would have been very happy to shoot. Uh, Mason had a nice opportunity last night. Bo's had opportunities even on that three by three. That was wide open, fifty something yard broadside. Four guys to pack it out. Slam dunk. But I mean, I mean <laughs> yeah, it's Bo we're talking about, uh-huh. of course. But, yeah. So <laughs> it was one of the. It, we've all had that. We've all been on the stocks. I, I think we all enjoyed the different tactics that went into how we're going to hunt these elk because we've had hot weather, we've had rain, we've had freezing cold, we've had rut fest, we've had open country feeding at nine a.m. Like we've we've seen it and hunted it. So. It, it, I would say this has been a you know a very successful trip for that aspect of it. Yeah, and and one one part that we did talk about you know in one of the other podcasts, but I want to reiterate was this elk hunt has been extremely fun from the standpoint is the camp camaraderie thing, and just like we come back and have a fire every night, and it sounds like oh wow that's cushiony and all this stuff, and it is, it's great, it's amazing, but we've had more chances at elk being able to do that i'm not saying that's always going to be the case but this trip we were able to get on elk every single day except for one today was yep, the first was day. The hottest day of the trip yeah oh, then two yeah if you want to talk today too yeah two. but today the effort level yeah. was not like we we all were more mule deer mindset but one day we put effort into elk to get nothing to turn up nothing to have zero bugles to have zero stocks that is what i hear of like a state of colorado I've never hunted them there. Well, I did, but um, I never had that where it's, oh my goodness, I haven't seen anything for six days. I just, I, that type of hunt hasn't been something that I've had to go through. So, and, and I'm sure there's places in Colorado and any other state where you can have experiences like this, but it's not, it's not common. Let's put it that way for an over the counter unit to be able to, uh, you know, really be able to get on elk every day i mean just finding them is the biggest thing and and now i mean i think we've learned a lot from this trip and can definitely you know take it and and learn more for the next time that we come chase bugles my goodness the learning curve here has definitely been shortened just by seeing it all not all because you never see it all but seeing that get a taste of everything yep i think it's worth mentioning too like you'd come back to camp every night He'd be like, "Oh, Michael, what'd you see?" And he'd be like, "Oh, I had a bull doing this, and then I had cows here and there, and it'd be Mason, and he'd have the same thing. Like it wasn't like one of the four, one of the five of us was coming back with a story. It was almost like every day, everyone at least, you know, was in elk near elk, had a decent hunt, except for the one day in the middle. But yeah, you know, and having a group of guys here that are younger, all the same age group, more or less, um, uh, you know, a span of five years, but all within the same age group, all within, you know, hunting East Coast, whitetail, or even though Justin's in Minnesota, but a whitetail background, 
having that and then us all bouncing ideas off each other like every night we went over game plan the GP. every single night what's the gp mason <laughs> john michael bo where are we going to do what are we going to do how are we going to do if this situation occurred and we always kind of just went through and john knowing the area was like you know what those plans let's do something different let's try this and then you'd be like if we go over here i was like okay yeah i'll let me give that a try or hey mason go try up over here just see what you can see and and not nowhere near saying guy but being like this is an area we haven't hit let's check this out and if you run into a situation this is what you're going to be in and that's been so fun just being able to bounce the ideas off each other and it's not just us sitting here sulking over full draw on a bull of yeah like a bull of my lifetime and sitting here being all pitiful like that hasn't been what we we don't let each other get pitiful because as soon as someone starts bitching about anything we yeah we start make them feel way worse about themselves and they got that out right away yep we yeah (laughs) it's it's a hundred percent it's a ruthless camp and that's kind of the way we like it it's fun it's been it's been really cool and i think that was a good point michael with like the team effort and like okay so even if you're going at all right this plot could really use two people or you'd be like hey i had some action here recently i could use a call caller behind you know we'd split up a lot this group just to make to find elk and increase the chances of opportunities but any chance you're like hey bo i could use you here to help with this and we go and we bounce ideas off each other and and go with it and that's that's been a cool mm-hmm. aspect of it you know and also being able to do our own thing and and from that aspect yeah i will say like being my first real elk hunt uh where i'm actually here focused on elk hunting uh i know justin's been on some awesome elk hunts uh being uh film making making video uh shooting stuff but been on you know a good handful elk hunts mason being on a couple elk hunts me being my first one i remember just trying to learn as much as i could i listened to you know you name the podcast i've listened to them you name the youtube videos i watched them um anything that i could get elk content elk information i tried just being a sponge and take it all in and that's awesome to have that knowledge but if you don't have the actual real world experience to put it into use or play you actually aren't really learning anything because i know i know thousands of hours of podcasts and videos and learning i know i've seen it but then out in the woods, I'm like, oh, shoot. That's exactly what they're saying. That's exactly when you should be doing this. <laughs> That's exactly when you need to be doing, you know, whatever the situation is. Like, don't be calling the whole way into the bull because it's not going to, you know, just different things. And I come back and be like, shoot. Well, that bull is nowhere in that drainage anymore. I tell you that. <laughs> like, just those situations. Yeah. And it's it's been fun. It's been cool, too, because our hunt plan, I feel like, was good that we put together. We... You know, ahead of the trip, Michael Mason and I put together. So I guess this is a good tip to share with people. If you're going with a group, there's something we are using called Google Docs. It's online. Anybody can edit, and it automatically saves to it. So we put together a plan of basically five different areas within the unit and sub-areas, like specific drainages, plans, put all this together if we didn't find elk and luckily we didn't have to veer off of the first one we stayed in the same place for the entire 12 days but um we hit a lot of those sections you know within that the subsections we had plans we had everything you know being organized like that does help in the process and you know when it came down to getting the meat out we already had address name hours everything at the butcher shop in town you know we had all that stuff kind of 
Yeah, there's very there's very little fumbling around. I'll say it wasn't a lot of wasting time. We were very efficient as a group. It's like shoot, man, we're on our way out. When's and I and I dropped the ball in us. When's the the meat processor open? I was like, dang, I that was on my list to do to call. We did, <laughs> but it was nice. We had the phone number. Was it eight to ten? He said. I said. Saying? I said ten to five. <laughs> ten to five. Yeah, yeah. ten to five. Yeah. And Justin's like really bullshit i'm like no 10 to 5 everything he's yeah, like, I was like oh, shit, every, every business is open yeah. from 10 to 5 <laughs> yeah, 10 to 5 it was 8 to 5 yeah. i lied but um <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah no it was just an easy phone call on our way out hey when you guys yeah we're open till this time okay perfect and we went no it was no big deal we knew exactly where things were um, our truck was organized well. We had a couple different things there with organization lists of packing lists, gear lists. Um, we printed out the maps, had hard copies of maps, had Onyx downloaded waypoints. Uh, just as ready as you can be, I yeah. felt to come down here and do this. It was, and I, I yeah, I, I say it's pretty successful from that standpoint. So one one thing I wanted to to get into here and i'll let uh michael start and then then if justin has anything to add to this um then uh as you guys are starting to do that i'm gonna go grab a couple beers out of the crux since that's what we're doing to keep them cold as they've been (laughs) in justin's car we have like 17 coolers here but we had had the beer sitting in the car all week waiting for the last day to be able to sip on a couple Um, if we had cool beers in the cooler they wouldn't have any beers left at all so yeah actually a good thing we did that yeah that's what i didn't tell you guys ahead of my car till now yeah you're you're good at keeping us in line you're drunken fools on the hill chasing elk we might have had something else down yeah right (laughs) (laughs) but no anyways so what i want to start off with is michael what are a couple things that you think that we did well and what are some things you think that we can improve on okay yeah so Basically, I kind of going to start with being a larger group of uh, uh, four or five guys. We came into this area being our, our main goal to hunt this area for as long as we could if we felt that the elk were here. And they were. Very quickly early on, we realized these elk are here. So we all discussed easy ways to not be messing and pressuring these bulls. We didn't. We wanted to hunt them. We wanted to consistently hunt them every day. But we didn't want to blow them out. And you can easily just run ridges, bugling, pushing. And you could be very successful. I'm, sh- I'm, I'm certain of it. I see it on, I see it online. But for the way we hunted, we're like, we're not going to get in there early morning and be blowing them out of the bottoms of the basins where they're at, which is our only way into the hills. So we decided in the morning we're going to glass, we're going to watch, watch them go to bed, then hunt them in that nature. And then at night, if they're not bugling, ambush them as they get back into the meadows. Knowing where they went in, day after day, we felt that was going to be a great strategy. Um, so we didn't pressure the elk when we didn't need to. We weren't in there running and bumping and just covering miles just to say we covered miles. I think that was a good a good little idea. When there's five different people hunting, more or less four hunters and Justin, five guys through the woods can blow out the woods in a quick hurry so we really took our time made smart in our my my i feel they're smart plays smart decisions we could have been a little bit more aggressive at times but we would have been packing up camp and moving and and wasting anytime you blow elk out of your area now you have easily hour to two hours of cleanup you're gonna stop in town you're gonna get back out there set up so you just wasted almost a whole day if not you know if just not a portion of it you, you did waste the whole day so we're pretty cautious with that 
when we were going to go bed to bed, we always had two guys for calling situations, which I thought was a good idea. When I ran into the problem, I didn't have a caller or else it, I know for sure I could have had the bull I wanted in range. He just got to where he knew where I was and I could see him. He could see me knowing. Or could see where. He, yes, he yes he knew where I was. He never did see me or else he would have took off. But he's like, nope, there's no elk over here. There's not a bull over here. Gone. So a caller there would have been helpful. So then we learned on that and we went in. Anytime we were going to bed, we had caller setups ready. And uh, now not to say that was successful by any means, but I felt that was the right play. Um, I would love to learn how some of the successful hunters would have played some of our scenarios. Um, it's just a slow day. What would they suggest at that point? You know, you guys haven't heard anything today. Go do this. And then I, I do have a feeling you probably bump some and blow some out, which isn't what we're trying to do, but you can be successful doing that. You just have to know you have backup plans, which we did. Um, so I'm definitely going to take some of those things, like how you can be more aggressive without ruining everything, you know, kind of being sneaky with it. Um, I like some of the calling sequences that got you in close. Like uh, if I heard bull, Bulls Bugling, I can't remember some podcast I heard. I was like, man, that's a great idea. You don't, I think the analogy was you don't just walk into the bar flipping out, screaming the whole way over to the guy. You're going to fight the guy. You know, you, you, get right up to him and then you tell him you're going to fight the guy. They don't have much of an option. I can't remember who said it in what podcast. I it think was. it was Jason Phelps. But uh, yeah. said that. And I'm like, that's that's a great that's all, that's that's a perfect example. So, my goal was I'm going to get as close as I can when they're bugling to then call and bugle and try to get them active and try to get them, you know, fired up. If you're on top of them, I felt that was going to be more successful. And it did work the one day. I was not successful other times. Maybe my calling's not the greatest. The way I approach it's not the greatest. Playing the wind isn't the best. But that's all stuff that you'll learn over time doing it. It's one of those things. You just don't do it right the first time. And if you do, uh, you can hunt with me whenever you want because I'll yeah. love that. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's worth mentioning too, like you were just talking about, even if you do everything perfect, it's not going to work every time. You know, you could get in there perfect, win perfect. You could be the best caller in the world, but it might still might not work out. You know, I, I thought one thing we did good um, and I'll, I'll say too, I think we're all pretty much at somewhat the same skill level as far as elk hunting goes. We've all done a little bit of Western hunting, but nothing crazy. So we were all just kind of bouncing ideas around and, and finding common ground that we all could, could live with and go from there. But that encounter that comes to my mind when, um, Bo passed his muley, uh, we were coming on this elk, we heard a bugle from across the Canyon and we all decided we could move in and, and get up in where he was bedding. And we did, and we got, we we played everything perfect. We we hiked all the way up to the the top of this rock cliff, came across, and we took our time because it was kind of loud. And we got in there, and he was still bugling. Um, and then all of a sudden, rain rolled in, and the wind switched, and he shut off. You know what? What do you do from there? We are now at the very peak of the basin. We walked through the whole thing to get up here. We have no idea if he's there, if he left, if he winded us, if he didn't. What's your next move? Yeah. We we hung out for a while, and then it was like, well, may as well go get set up for the afternoon hunt because. How long do you sit there? What we did do there is we backed out. We did, yep. And it was that bull came out of that very same timber patch out to the meadow that that night. <laughs> he was in there. Yeah. What we didn't what we didn't learn was 
huh, well, you went in there. Maybe we should go sit there in the, the evening. Yep. But we weren't sure. It, it, we just thought a, he was gone. Hindsight's twenty twenty. It's mm-hmm. easy to... It's easy to look back and say, but at the time when you feel the wind at your back and you're within 100 yards, it's like, well, shit, there we go. But, mm-hmm. you, you know, you just never know. And like you say, we, we backed out, we waited, and then we went in and tried to call a little bit, and it, you know, nothing happened of it, but that's, that's hunting. Mm-hmm. And, and it was interesting because he was there. We knew he was there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we all were like... Where do you think he is? And I, I, I was in there before, and I'm like, if I were to guess, he's on this ridge. I think it is a north-facing slope. It is, yep. A north-facing slope, and it is torn up. I mean, there's elk beds in there. And I was like, I know that's where he was. I've been in there. I, this is how we can get into it. And we did it, and we played it. The section of woods he was in was very huntable. It was a little thick at the top end, but it was huntable. And it just, the situations weren't right. We still had a couple days. Maybe that played into it. And we said, we'll back out. We'll swing around. Then we'll go sit where he went in the morning. Where he went into that timber, we went and sat. Instead of where he should have came out. Where he should have came out. The easiest route out to the meadow. If we sat that, he did that. And it was funny. It was near where he bedded. Yep. It was right where he bedded. He came right out. And looking at back, we didn't need a back out. We could have spent the whole rest of the day there. Swung a guy down at the bottom when the thermals were right, and you could have had a, a you could have had a, a shot at it. You know, where he had to come out from where he was was bow range. Now you know that, so it's like shoot, we could have used the topography, we could have used the wind, we could have swung around, and we could have hunted him. But now to play devil's advocate of that, Michael, had we done that, and if you would have blown out, we'd have wasted a whole night on 100%. a bull that wasn't even there. So it's, yep. it's it's so hard to know. Yep. You know, I think we made the safe move there with backing out and waiting, maybe. You know, maybe next time we'll just try to keep pushing in and see what happens, you know? Yeah. That specific hunt there, I was a shooter. Mason and I rock, paper, scissors, did. I won. I was a Which shooter. was an adrenaline rush, by that the way, was, might I add. Holy smokes. Yeah, you, <laughs> you, you gave, guys, that was like you nine gave, rounds. You gave a hardcore arm pump after you. Yeah, you were that. jacked up. Yeah. Because you, guys, you, you guys hit a tie almost two or three different times before you came out with the win. Yep. And Mason was bummed. Mason, like like a dang it i was like yes because we're doing this rock paper scissors within what 200 yards, <laughs> 200 of, the bull. yards of the bull yeah dude. who's shooting <laughs> yeah who's shooting yeah. and so i'm i'm the shooter and all this to say our group effort was a decision was made not to push in and i being the shooter was like that's right yeah there's no reason to blow this out if we don't like let's back out and i could have been like no hell with this i'm gonna go in there you know if i wanted to really hunt the bull that we knew was there and been like, Mason, I'm sorry, tomorrow morning we have no chance at this bull because he's gone. I, no, we made a group decision. Best thing here to do is is get out. We'll set here. We'll set here. We'll play it like this. I was like, yeah, that's per- great. I, that's a great idea. And we backed out. We slipped out. And we were one drainage off. We sat up. I'm going to say drainage one and two, and he came out three. We were hunting him in drainage three. And the night before he went in one, and the night after we see he went in number two in the drainage number two. So it's like, you know, why? How did he get to where he was? Why didn't he come out there? It's one of those. But you know, group effort. We all said this is what's best, and I, I felt at the time that was the best decision we could make. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. I from from my standpoint, what I saw is some things that we did good, and some things I think we could, you know, maybe have changed differently, maybe not. I don't know. But one thing was. My idea of elk hunting and the way I looked at it before was I wanted to bugle in a big, you know, bull bugling back at me, spitting in my face, rutting, 
pissing all over his legs. Just the, you know, the whole story that everybody wants from a September rut hunt. And it was said, uh, actually it was when I interviewed John Barklow on the podcast, he said something about, he goes, the bass elk hunters or and or a lot of the really successful elk hunters hunt elk with what they're doing at the time. And he goes, he said, if it's super hot and they're not bugling, that may be sitting water holes, even if you don't want to do that. You know, and for me, you know, I it took a little bit to kind of learn that. And I think we did a good job at that this time. And it was a learning curve for myself of not just running around bugling on ridges and you know, that, that does work for a lot of people, but they're, you know, they're covering a lot of spot. We kind of had a unique situation where we had this part of the basin kind of do ourselves and it wasn't getting pressure from the, during the weekday, I, during the weekdays, but even during even the, on weekends, the weekends, man, there was people coming through, but it wasn't enough to drive the area. Up. No. And they weren't going into these prime spots cause they're freaking tough to get into. And we had these little holes and there was five, six, seven bulls in there. You know, not just in there at one time, but they come through and we're like, we didn't want to blow it out. So we took a little bit of a cautious route, but I think we were aggressive when we needed to be. And I think that's what gave us those opportunities mm-hmm. that potentially we could have been four for four. You know, that's, I think that's a very successful thing. And I think it's something to take note of is hunting elk and what they're doing, like paying attention to it and adapting. Same thing it is with whitetails. You know, if you're going on a rut hunt in Kansas and they're, it just so happens they're not rutting, then sitting these rut funnels isn't going to work. you got to figure out what they're doing right now, move, adapt, set up, kill. And, yeah, I wish it was that easy. But, um, anyways, I think that was one thing we did really well. One thing that I think for myself personally I could improve on is the confidence in some of these setups. Like, when, when we would have those bulls in the bed, I'd get there and be like, I don't know what the hell to do. Mm-hmm. In reality, I did have some good ideas of what to do. I had the knowledge. I just wasn't confident in my, say, whether it's my calling or whatever it might be to make that happen. And I, I think that's something I can definitely improve on and, and go from there. I mean, what do you guys think? I could always say calling can be better. I mean... I felt like I practiced a ton of bugling. I mean, I bugled every day to work on the way home from work. I sat in traffic. My girlfriend was probably freaking sick and tired of me ripping bugles through the tube in the car with the windows up. I know she was tired of it. I mean, my ears would ring some days. And I practiced bugling all the time. Very little cow calling. I just wasn't, I, and I came out here and I wasn't confident in my cow calling. I'm like, son of a gun. I'm in his bed. I'm on him. I probably should just give a, a soft cow call right now. And I just wasn't confident in it. Yeah. I'd be like, well, what am I going to do? Rip a bugle? <laughs> I, I don't know. Just, I, I wish I could have taken the time to put a little more effort in my cow calling. Yep. And I'm going to, I'm going to speak from Mason on two, two things he needs to improve on. <laughs> you sound excited about this. Getting the Onyx Hunt app on his phone. <laughs> That's one. Yeah. Mason came out here with no, after the podcast, everything I talk about with it. No way, mapping service. No GPS. GPS or he said, he, had, he said to his defense, he had a GPS ready to rip, and he forgot it. Yep. No Onyx. No GPS. Yeah. So, In a place he never been. Yeah. He's like, oh, you just it's, it should be easy. I'll just up here and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. No. But and then then uh, yeah, I guess that's the only thing with Mason. I would, I would I will stick say. up for him though. 
John said, hey, go up on this ridge. There's a trail camera up here. I'd give you the waypoint, but you don't have it. And Mason came home with the trail camera. Yeah. So he does have good wood knowledge and, yeah, and, good and navigational. Yeah. But Onyx is very help, very helpful. Uh, if he was successful, he would have had to walk the whole way back to camp to come get us to walk the whole way up in to go get the elk because he didn't have an inReach. We have no cell service here. An inReach would save you miles in these woods. And where he was hunting, I would not want to walk down just to say, hey, guys, I got a bull. Like, yeah. Th- just you're talking back. hours. That'd probably be a three-hour ordeal. Hour and a half down, hour and a half back up, give or yeah, take. Just to get it. Yeah, yeah two just hours Just to get up. everyone up there. Yeah, two hours up for sure. And, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's an inReach is a necessity, but it definitely would have been a helpful tool. You and I used it. That's how when I got my bull down, I texted you, and you had everybody rounded up and up there. And and so that that Garmin inReach was a was a good tool. So if that, you if you didn't have it, the inReach and I didn't have the inReach, you wouldn't even been able to get us because Mason and I were in the woods hunting. Y- yeah, that would have been a thing, and it was hot that day. Yeah, you, had guys, really... you and Justin would have been humping that thing off the hill, and that is not <laughs> an easy hike out. No. It, now the granted there is there is a trail there that you can sneak down in on, but getting to that trail is steep, steep country. Going and, through rock bluffs and cliffs yeah. and everything. And yeah. we got our buddy John. Like day two and on him, he was up there in a heartbeat. Helped Bo finish butchering it. Helped Bo quarter it out. We got up there. We helped pack out. Everything was good, done, easy. That inReach paid for itself on the very that very specific moment for me, and that's yeah. a hundred dollar investment. And it paid for itself that moment right there. Um, so I, I like, you know, Mason with just picking on him because we did it a lot with the Onyx, but. Any mapping service is a, a must. You yeah. really need to come to here out here. The guy, uh, uh, Onyx, you know, just be safe with it. Onyx is great. I feel like you can use it in these countries perfectly, but even a cheap GPS in your hand that just points north, south, east, west is needed. Yeah, yeah, that's that's for sure. That's definitely a, a learning experience there and mason will never say it because he's stubborn and he will figure it out don't get don't get me wrong mason will figure it out I'll never doubt him one second he said he found that trail camera in two minutes it could have took him six hours we don't know but he but did it he in did spite it of us yep. he did it in spite <laughs> of us and he would not came out until the next morning until he found that thing yep. but um so anyways one other thing i wanted to cover here is let's start um justin let's uh, maybe you have something to add maybe you don't but from your experience, did you see anything from a gear standpoint that you're like, man, I'm glad I had this or like that we had, um, and then something that maybe you'd like to improve? Um, I'll start with plan for the worst. Um, my sleeping bag was like fine line the whole trip. What degree is it? I have a 30. Okay. Yeah. That's tight. Yeah. And you know, I, I guess I didn't know any better. I was like, oh, 30 degrees. I'll dress warm when I lay in there. I'll be good down to whatever. And and most most of the nights I was fine, but there was two or three nights where I was I was wearing everything I had, and I was I wasn't cold, but I wasn't warm by any means. Um, so I think it's just kind of and you're a Minnesota boy, so that's yeah, that's, that's, you know I have that little bit of pride. I'm like ah, I'm from Minnesota. I don't need a you know zero degree bag for a September hunt, but I think just plan for the worst. Assume that you're going to get snow. Assume it's going to get cold, and plan for it because it would be better to have too much than too little if that makes sense in a way yeah to an extent especially you know, you, when you're truck camping like this exactly here because i could just throw it in my my car and, and yeah. be done but um i mean other than that um i think our water filtration system was pretty solid 
Um, granted, we had a creek right here to fill up out of, but I thought that was pretty slick how every night we came back to camp and there was, how big is that bag? Three liters? Yeah, so the, the dirty bags, it's a platypus, like inline gravity-fed filtration system. I had a three-liter dirty bag, and Mason had an MSR six-liter yeah. clean bag that we'd have filled. So we weren't scrambling around trying to find water. Each of us just, whenever we saw the bag empty, the dirty bag, we go fill it up and have it ready to start loading up water. Yeah, that's a, that's a good that's a good ad. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's different for me because uh, when I come on a trip like this, I have my clothing, my tent, my sleep system, and my camera gear. You know, I don't have the hunting gear because that's what you guys have. So, you know, I could go all day about camera gear and stuff that I wish I had and that I'm happy I have, but I don't think people care about that too much. So. I'll turn it over to Michael and you can talk more about anything stuff. that you noticed. Cause I mean, you're in the elements as much as we are. Do you have a piece? I, I mean, I, I don't know if Bo's heading this direction, but anything like clothing wise that you're like, thank goodness I had this or think a oh, man next year, I'm going to do a hunt like this. I'm going to have this or boots or gloves or, you know, anything. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll start with boots. Um, I think boots are like the, one of the big ones to have. If you have, a shitty little pair of boots that's getting you wet every day and they're not drying out. And I mean, when I was in New Mexico before this hunt in elk, I wore a pair of cotton socks one day. I didn't even think about it. Like it was just, I had so much going on and I have blisters on my feet still from that one screw up. And that's with a good pair of boots. I can't imagine trying to run cotton socks and a bad pair of boots for a week out here, especially if you're in a situation where you don't have a fire or it's raining all day and it's cold all night. I mean, that would be absolutely miserable. Um, so I think a, a solid pair, and it, it, I'm not going to be a brand guy and try to tell you to buy this or that brand, just buy what you can afford and make it a good pair of boots because it's, it's going to be so worth it, you know, having that. And besides that, I pretty much live in my Kelvin light vest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wear it. I mean, you guys have seen me. I don't think I've taken it off in the last two weeks. I just, I love the fact that when we hike, um, what you guys can't see is every, every time we go into hunt, we're hiking uphill, right? And then we get to a spot and depending on the hunt, we might sit down and wait for a bugle, wait to glass. So you might hike three miles and sweat your ass off. And then you might have to sit and wait for three hours. So whatever system you're running, you, you got to have layers, man. And you got to actually be active with it. It's so easy to be like, Oh, I'll be good enough to hike up there. And you get up there and you're sweating and then you don't have anything else to put on and you're, you're wet. You have to really be proactive. And if it, it takes you the extra minute to stop and you get behind people just to, rip a layer off or do something like that. I think that's, that's crucial. And I lived and breathed by that. And I, I think, you know, I, and I see you guys doing it too. I think we all did pretty good with that this trip. Yeah. And so, so what you're talking about is the sick, uh, Kelvin light vest yep. and it's extremely packable, lightweight, synthetic, you know, insulation layer. And, uh, yeah, you, you're wearing it currently and you've worn Maybe it. Maybe had it on for sure. Yeah. Well, it, at some point it's so, I mean, when you think about it, when you get cold, right, it's your core that's cold. It's not your elbows or your forearms. It's your core. So why not bring a layer that covers that again? You know, that's the way I always look at it. I, I won't leave camp without it because like you said, it, it weighs nothing. So even in the, when we're hiking in, in the afternoon and it's hot, I'm not going to have it on because I'll, I'll die, you know, but then it, it, you don't even realize it's in your pack. You get up there, you start glassing, you throw it on and that'll cover you for like three hours of sitting if you need, you know, before it gets too cold, before you need another layer. But so kind of on that, I, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to go that route, but just real quick. Uh, mule deer hunting, whitetail hunting. I, I lived and died in my merino wool. Super warm. I woke up out of my tent. I walked to my glassing knob. We glassed in the mornings for mule deer specifically. You'd be bundled up, puffies, uh, your your merinos, 
good pants, good pants to sit in because you're going to be doing a lot of sitting, glassing, tree stand, same thing. You hike in, you sit in your stand all day. So merinos were like what you needed for a base layer. A good puffy is what you need for glassing. And this hunt was so much different for me because I busted my ass to get in there to sit for a little bit, to get cold, to hear a bugle, to run again, mm-hmm. to sit for a little bit. I 100%, if I ever come back and do another hunt of this nature, it's solely going to be on, I'm probably going to phase out my merino base layers and put in more th- a synthetic base layer. I'm going to sweat. I, I just, you know you're going to sweat. And you sit down for that little bit. And if you have the chance to dry, to get anything just wind drying, wind blown dry off, you're so much farther ahead of the game. So, that if I ever do a hunt like this again, I'm 100% going to have synthetic base layers. Uh, I I know merino with the smell and the antimicrobial. Cool, you're going to stink like shit after 12 days. I don't care who you are, or where you are. I think being dry is way more important than your smell after 12 or 13 days. Yeah, and the synthetic definitely dries quick a lot quicker. And that was I I tested out both as you did. I wore my my sick the core lightweight synthetic t-shirt underneath you know my clothing there and then there was days i wore just my regular merino base layer and the merino is so nice on them cold mornings don't get me wrong that warmth to weight ratio is amazing and it's awesome you cannot replace that but it did take a lot longer to dry and if you got up there and you're sitting for a little bit all of a sudden your back sweat from your your pack fitting on there and everything starts getting cool drafts all this stuff and these are, you know, some little things, but they can be, a, you know, somewhat of a um, a comfort level that can make or break your mind in a way and your, your mental. Especially at night. Yeah. You hike oh, down. Yeah. Every night you hike down. Regardless of the temperature, you're going to sweat in your back. Your pack's going to sweat. You're, you know, you're going to sweat at some point on your hike out. You're packing out. You're hiking out. And then a lot of people, including myself, when you're on a hunt like this, you almost always sleep in a majority of your clothes, you know, some sort of your base layer is something that you sleep in. Now, truck camping is a little different because you can pack different. But when you're 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 cla- you know high country mule deer and living out of your backpack, you sleep in your layers that you're wearing. So if you have wet merinos and you go to bed, I don't care what sleeping bag you have, you're going to be cold. So for like that instance, the the base layers to me is probably one thing I'll probably change a little bit. And I do have to say, my favorite piece of gear, cheap piece that the whole time i was telling bo man i I adjust this i change this i like this idea on this and just bouncing ideas back and forth off him with some things i'd like to see in different pieces of gear but the one piece of gear i would never go on a a backcountry hunt again without is my bow sling that bow sling is worth its weight the jacked gear slingling jack gear slingling it's now i've had another one where you put your whole string and cam system in it and that's not quick. It's not easy to take on and off. I've ran on, on my backpack before in a in a case, not case, but it is so nice to have your just over your sling on a real quick, quick release clip on your shoulder, hands free, trekking poles, whatever you're doing, climbing. If your hands, you know, you need your hands for whatever it is, or you're freezing cold, and your hands in your pocket. A twenty degree morning with a bow in your hand. Your hand's frozen. That's just what the, that's all there is to it. And I know Mason many times, like, man, how, how much do you like that sling? I was like, it's it's I, I love it right now. I don't know how much it costs, and I don't even care what it costs. That was, I would never go back without that sling. 
Yeah, I, I will say with all my filming, I've done, I do a lot of archery hunts. I've never seen guys run that. And I saw um, on yours the first day, I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. And then I think we talked a little bit about it on one of the first days. And I saw you hiking around with it, always like that. And like you said, it's so quick. If you see something, it's just a matter of it's on you know, your shrugging your shoulder and it's right in your hand. It's yeah. no different than a sling and a rifle. Yeah. That, yep. There's no different than a sling and a rifle. You see deer, you pull the, shoulder, the gun off your shoulder and you shoot. Now, bow, obviously, it's a little bit different, but it's right there Same on concept. your shoulder. Yep. It's attached to your pack. You're hiking hands-free. You see a deer, you just reach up, left to end. Well, it's always on my left side. I just pop it off, grab my sling, grab my bow, and I'm ready to roll. I mean, And, and the sling has a magnet in it, which I talked on a podcast, I don't know, probably 10 episodes ago with Jeff Ellis, who's uh, oh, the guy right. who, yep. who uh, yep. founded and created this sling. He added a magnet in it. So when you pull it off, you pr- it's, it's good to practice with it this way. You practice it. You could take it off one-handed, sling it around, and it magnets off out of the way, out of your sight, out of the way of your quiver, everything. Off your hand. You're ready to go load an arrow just as quick as if you had it in your hand. And it keeps your hands free. It's so much easier for hiking. That was going to be one of my main gear things, too, that, man, did that help out. You know where else it helps? And I know he speaks on it, but people that use these a lot don't, I think, get to get the full use out of it. Putting it around your neck with the bow in front of you, putting your elbows, I'm, I'm doing it with my hands, but you put your elbows where the limbs and the riser meet, and you use that as a steady base, pushing down on your bow on the back of your neck, holding locking in your binos and when you're cruising through the woods and you see something at a good ways off like you can in most areas instead of being out of breath huffing and puffing trying to get your binoculars steady on it i just swing my bow right around my neck and i put my binoculars to my eyes and i'm locked in you're steady you're glassing and you're like okay yeah you know that that's that's the bull we're after okay keep skirting around it oh it came out over here and that right there was that is worth its weight there i mean I know for sure when you're hiking a terrible hike and you look up and you're trying to get this animal in your binoculars and you're like, man, is this a five by five? Is this a raghorn? Is it a six by six? And you're wobbling all over, being super steady, back to getting after it. If it's fifty bucks, I'm not sure it's worth it. I, yeah. I don't know. It's it, less than a hundred. It, yeah, it's it's somewhere around fifty bucks. The whole system, if you add the actual wristling and stuff to it, I believe is seventy five dollars. Yeah, I, I don't run the I don't run a wristling. I just don't. Yeah. So that was the cost savings on my end. But less than a hundred bucks for a piece of gear that I used every single day, every hunt. There's never a point that sling was used more than. I mean, it, it had to be more than anything else I used. Like, I didn't use my binoculars that much. I didn't use my I had my boots, obviously. But, like, I was constantly in use, attached to my bow, attached to my pack. So Yeah. Is there anything else you can think of that jumps out at you that you would change or that you liked? Changing? I, I love my boots. My boots are nice. I've never gotten a blister, knock on wood. Um, my boots are great. I, I love the socks I run. Those I think everybody uses darn tough at least once or twice in their time. They're they're great. I have a couple different layers of, of gear here that I wear, tops and bottoms, alternating my puffy in and out when needed. Um, I just got a new pair of pants with knee pads. But what are they? They're the Sika Gear Apex pants. The with knee pads in those pants, quiet is a big thing. Yep, they're a merino synthetic mix. Yep, quiet is a big thing. And the knee pads are nice. I was putting that stock on that muley and sagebrush, which anybody that walks in sagebrush knows it is not a quiet bush to be walking through. And then the last, like, I don't know how far I'm, you know, hands and knees crawling 
through rock. I'm like, wow, this is actually a really nice pair of pants to be wearing right now. Uh, and then a new puffy that I got. I, I want to call it a puffy short sleeve. It's a Kelvin active hoodie. That. <laughs> Bo's got you. I love. So I told Bo, I was like, I, this is what I want. He's like, oh, this is a good jacket for you. I was like, nah, I want a hood. And he's like, oh, then you want this. And I was like, I don't know about short sleeve. He's like, listen, I'm not talking you into buying it, but you will not realize the difference short sleeve versus long sleeve, except my biggest thing is I hate bulk on my arms when I'm shooting my bow. On your forearms. On my forearm. For some reason, maybe it's the way I hold my bow, it's the way I shoot. Even a little bulky jacket, every once in a while I can hear a slight tick of my string or my arrow or whatever it is hitting my sleeve, and that just makes me cringe. That I hate that. So having less bulk on my arms, I'll do that every day of the week. Yeah, and you can hike in it too, which is pretty cool. I did that a lot. Yeah, yeah a lot of hiking in it. And add some insulation. That yeah, you I mean you named quite a few things there that, that I thought was cool. And with those the the apex pants there, um, from Sitka that you were using, like those knee pads. So when I made my shot, as you guys will see in the film, I was on my knees on a rock slide on the side of it. That would have been freaking painful to shoot from that without knee pads. Did I ruin all your gear list? You 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 <laughs> went through quite a few of them. That's good. We had similar ones that were were good. Yeah. Well, um, I apologize for that, but I, I'm glad to hear that you have the same ideas. Because no, and then the the Kelvin Active hoodie was another one I loved. That Kelvin Active jacket's my favorite piece of gear sick ever made. That Kelvin Active hoodie might have replaced it. Just from the, I don't. I just I love hoods. I'm a hood guy. You know. I just. I think it's worth mentioning, man. Like, it like. The one day I went out, I didn't wear my, my hood on my base layer. Yeah. And I was like, shit. And I could just feel a breeze coming in. It just wasn't the same. I think even you if you have long hair like Bo and I. Yeah. I, yeah. Long hair, I missed the memo. No I guess. breeze on my neck. <laughs> <laughs> no, no neck warmer. Yeah. But seriously, I mean, when you look, it's just this thin little paper thin layer, but it's enough just to cut the wind and it, it, you'd be surprised how warm it keeps you. Yeah. I mean, when I shot my bowl, I had my, which is a mid layer, but you know it's almost the weight of a base layer i had the apex hoodie on i had my hood up when i shot it was completely out of the way of the shot didn't interfere with the shot whatsoever so definitely like in elk hunting and this stuff where you're active then you're you're uh, still you're active then you're still uh you know a layering system of any kind is very important and keeping caught and throw it out the window i've talked about that a million times but that was a you know a big thing for me that like that bow sling was the other just giant win that was an, an improvement from you know other years. One uh, piece of gear, so I've never done a whole lot of glassing, but having spotters, oh oh man, that's been legit. I mean, I had that new little Maven S two spotter weighs thirty two ounces, is like freaking nothing. Weighs the same as my binos. Throwing that in the pack with the tripod that I normally already have that I was either running my binos off or my camera. And being able to use that and cover country instead of putting those miles on your legs was awesome. It was huge. It, we used those huge. spotters every day. Yeah, we did. I mean, literally. Every you know. single Michael, day. Michael, you have the, yeah. the S1 spotter by Maven, the bigger one. That spotter, I tell you right now, it you're not going to have the lightest spotter in the game. You're not going to have, the, you know, the S2. You're not going to have, I will say, what you do have. I could, they'd be like, oh, there's, there's you know, an elk. I'd hop on that, crank it all the power all the way up. And I'm like, oh, hey, check this out. And we all look through and we're like, okay, yeah, that's Don Bolio. You know, just for an example. And having the ability to be, I wish 
to get the, I can't wait to use it on mule deer because that's the difference in a stock or not. Is that a four by four? Is that a three by four? Is it, you know, what you're looking for? A good spotter's life, you know, that, that hunt there. So getting to use them out here is so cool. I, I really enjoyed it. I, you know, you, you spend good money on good gear and you get to use it and it's, it's, it's nice. Yeah. That was a, that was definitely a, yeah, a I like big, that one. I didn't think of that. That was definitely a big thing and, and not really a specific gear choice, but for me this year, I felt really a lot more organized and knowing the ins and outs of my pack where I had things organized and even coming down to the truck. I mean, having, I added that deck system in the back of my truck and being able to organize all my camp and stuff. We came back at night. I could pull a drawer out, grab my cooking stuff, go put it all back together. We stayed pretty dang organized for spending 12 days out here. Yeah, we always, you know, get on each other, leaving stuff out here and there. But for the most part, everything was organized. And having that together is something that I think is is really big. When you have four and five guys going to the back of a truck, you know how much of a shit show that gets in a quick hurry. Yeah. Oh, one day. And I can't tell you. I personally would misplace things. That's just because how I am. But it's like, oh, okay, I know everything I need for cooking's in this drawer. Everything I need for here is in this drawer. And everyone kept it that way because it's so easy it's to so keep easy it that to. way. Yep. With that deck system like that, with you know our table, the way we ever stuff set up, our our canopy, you know, just our camp setup has been organized and it's been nice. Yeah, and another another thing that I used. Um, this was the first time using something like this, but I was, uh, messing around with that, the, the new iron wheel knife that we had and not even the, the knife was awesome. It's cool. It's a fixed blade, all this stuff, but the little sharpener, half an ounce, this thing weighed and all of us used it. Not even on the iron wheel stuff. Michael, you used it on your knife and it wasn't even the right angle for it. It wasn't the right angle. It wasn't the right <laughs> type of steel. And I'm like, listen, I know it'll sharpen this enough to get done what I need to get done. And I was on a stainless blade, a replaceable blade. I drug it through yeah. a couple of times. I knocked the burrs down and I got back to work. Yeah. And I'm like, I just saved myself two blades just having that sharpener. I could have brought other sharpeners yeah. very easily. And I'm not saying I couldn't have, but it's the size of a matchbox. Yeah. Literally. Smaller. And, and, and I had it in my kill kit. I'm up there cutting that elk. That elk hide is not easy to cut through halfway through it. Uh, maybe it's the knife's getting a little bit dull. I ran it through four times through the sharpener. Took not even thirty seconds. I'm back to cutting like butter, and it was it was great for us to be able to do that, and you know, be able to to I don't know, just be efficient with it. One thing that we didn't get to use a whole lot, but something that I'm still looking for the perfect solution to it. And I don't know if there is. The water filtration at camp was great with that platypus system. I did not like that for backcountry hunts. It works a lot better for clean streams. And when I say clean, that doesn't mean the cow shit that we are filtering out of. Besides I mean that. like like muddy stuff like that. You know, I have a SteriPen that I've been using, and I used that once on the trip and tried the Aquamira drops. But something that's lightweight that's being able to filter water efficient efficiently get out the particulates. I don't know if there's a good option for that, but that's something I'm still looking to improve on. I know Justin and I have the same one. Yeah, we do. It's uh, trail shot? Trail shot. Yeah, the trail shot? shot. By MSR? Yep. What's that? By MSR? Yeah, yep. it's not big. I filtered two times this trip out of classy wallows. Yep, I did once. Yeah. 
Clancy Waddle. You know, you're in muddy water, <laughs> and I had no flow difference. Now, I'm not saying I ran it through a 16-day hunt because I didn't have to. I used it in PA multiple times, and PA streams are very clean in comparison to, to what the Classy Wallow was. But normally, even in my, my old system that I had, those uh, Sawyer squeeze bags, two times out of that Wallow, and you're back flushing. Yep. And I love that thing. Uh, just hand pump a, a liter and get going. Get down to the, you know, I liked it. It was small. I know there's a failure point to them, I, they, like they all have. Uh, not to say that's the end all be all at all, but that won't leave my pack. I know that for sure. Yeah, I, I'd feel very confident running that as my primary water solution and then having something as a backup in case I forget and leave it out and it freezes one night and cracks or whatever. But I, I could see myself running that as my primary for a trip like this. A solo we didn't hunter, have, that's a good primary. I mean, it weighs nothing. It, you, you don't even realize it's in your pack and you get it out and it you can fill up your bladder in, I mean, a minute or two and you're back on your way, you know. Yeah, now six guys. I would never recommend trail shot. Yeah, no, you. Wouldn't, it, no it's a personal it's not a good thing. camp thing. It's a good personal. It's a personal item. System. Yep. 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 And, and honestly, camp the way to do it is gravity. You yeah. don't want to pump. Pumping, everybody dreads going to the wherever you're getting water and pumping. I, I guarantee, more backcountry hunters hate getting water more than anything else. I, I've never heard of a, oh, yeah, I can't wait to go freaking get water tonight. Like, <laughs> Especially I can't when it's wait. cold and you're downhill. It's dump. always terribly downhill. Yeah. And it's always Especially a here. Yeah. It's here. Good thing it's downhill so I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, now I think that gravity is the way to go here. Yeah. In this example. Um, I did want to also mention on that uh, sling, uh, packing meat, trekking poles, heavy load, and your bow on your shoulder. How much nicer can that get? No, you're, you're exactly You're right. not carrying your bow. You're packing meat. You're usually in not a good footing. Your last thing you want to be worrying about is where your bow is. And you can't put it on your pack at that time. Yep. It doesn't go on your pack usually because your pack's a blowed out with 100 pounds of meat and a head. Where do you put your bow? Yep. You, if you're, nobody's there, you're leaving it there because we know friends that had to leave their bows up at, you know, on the top of a mountain because they didn't have a place to take it or put it. You throw that over your shoulder. You're never not, you're always going to have a $1,500 investment. You know, of course I want that with me. I, regardless how much it is, it's worth it. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. And and that was, so the, the one other aspect I'm going to ask you guys, I'll give my input first and then kind of go over to you guys. But as far as packing out meat and everything, how, you know, as far as like your packs and how they work, I was I was really impressed by how my pack carried I, the Mountain Hauler Four Thousand, how it carried meat. I loved the organization of it, but I had never got to pack out something with that much weight. And we figured I probably had a little over a hundred pounds, right around a hundred pounds. If I were to put a guess on it, yeah, Definitely. and and over it was probably a little over three miles. Actually, it was, it was like three point two miles is what it was from my truck to Bill's that. Bill's not bragging saying he had hundred pounds on his back. This isn't a competition. No, no, it was, this is easily. There was, it, you weren't packed. You weren't overstuffed. Yeah. You I took a lot of my seat. gear out and gave it to you. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, and then had a hind quarter plus the head hide everything else on my pack when coming out. Yeah. You're, you're exactly right. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say I'm a freaking badass carrying it out. This was just carrying weight efficiently, efficiently. But one thing that we learned about that was make sure you have that weight balance right. First off, I put the head on in the wrong portion. 
And that killed me. And then it slid off. Because it was on the back of me. It felt like I was going to fall over backwards. And once I got it set up on top and had the weight distributed right, you know, close to my back, all the heaviest stuff up against there, which obviously is the hindquarter and then the head, and was able to do that, um, I was good coming off the mountain. And I thought that was that was awesome. And it. so what about you, Justin? Um, I roll with a stone glacier. Yep. Uh, it's 3,300. I just bought it um, the beginning of this elk season. Um, the pack I was running last year just wasn't, it was a camera pack and that was great, but it's not a pack out pack, if that makes sense. You know, um, I knew on this hunt, the way we'd be hunting that I would probably have to be carrying meat, which is great. So I decided to get that stone glacier. This was the first run that I've, you know, this past New Mexico hunt and this hunt that I've really used it. And I've so far, I've taken out one load on this one we all did it in one and then i did three on the last one so i've done four loads and i have absolutely no complaints i mean i've done two hind quarters and a i think i took a front with yours bow yeah and i mean it's just been been perfect i mean i have no complaints at all about it it, it handles well it loads well um it sits on my my hips well my shoulders weren't sore at all yeah you know so it's i, I was nothing bad to say about it at all good so. what about you michael yeah so i run a mystery ranch i uh, this trip, I didn't have an elk on my back. Uh, we had enough guys that everyone kind of took what they were, and I, I had my pack loaded up, and Bo's like... But you had a lot of stuff, though, with well, gear. Yeah, you yeah, took everybody's gear. gear. Yeah, I took everybody's carry. gear, which is fine with me, and I was perfectly fine with not... I, I'm not saying, like, I was so thankful to give up my hind quarter. By any, I was 100% ready to take the hind quarter out, and Bo's like, listen, I've never packed meat in this. This is something I want to do. This is something that I feel like I should do. It's my first bull. He's heard all of our horror stories of packing out elk. And Bo's like, this is, I'm not going to take the easy route and just take the head and gear. So I loaded up with gear. Now my pack was not heavy, but my pack is big. I don't know how many cubic inch it is. It's 4,500, I believe. It's probably between four and five. Yeah, so 4,500. I can stuff that thing to the brim. Uh, I you adjust it right for your body, and that that pack is a heavier duty pack. It's heavier than most packs out there. I have had over 100 pounds on it multiple times here now, just messing around with it. And I, I've never had a creek or a drone where I'm like, oh boy, is this pack gonna explode? I, that pack, yeah. I love it. I would only maybe ever change it if just to try something. You know, yeah. I, I don't have. I would never have to get anything just the way it sits now. Um, yeah. I have seen some packs not do so well, and I'm so glad that uh, all three of ours right here performed very well. Yeah. Um, I, have, like, I have seen packs not hold up. Even taking out, a pa- uh, packing out whitetail, a whitetail, that pack has never been a problem. Uh, you know, two, two hind quarters, you know, two front shoulders and meat, shoved in a one pack that's a cluster you got legs sticking out here and there and it's not but that pack i love it i, I just like how it rides it's it sits well and but if you got to spend money boots and packs are not a bad place to do it yep especially when you're hiking far like this because the two things that are going to get sore if you skimp on that are your feet and your shoulders and that's mm-hmm. miserable mm-hmm. and i think it's worth mentioning too um thankfully it didn't happen to us and hopefully never will but if your pack fails on a pack out, especially if you're not with a group of four or five people, I mean, you could be in for some big trouble there. Mm-hmm. What, what are you going to do if you're halfway back and your your strap just fails and you can't load meat anymore? Now you have a, you know, a quarter with all your gear sitting here, the rest of the elk there, and the rest of your stuff down here. I mean, you yeah, know. your cluster. Yeah, it's, it's it'd be a thing. So, 
Yeah, I think it's just worth mentioning. Very good point. Like Michael just said, those are things not worth skimping money on. If if even if you have to wait till next season to buy the one you want, the one you need, you know, just get something good that you're going to be happy with and 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 love it. You know. Yep. I, I do want to say this, and and I know everyone here, probably you know, listening, probably can agree here. You don't have to go out and spend top dollar on every piece you have. No. You don't have to go out and be buying sticky gear. You don't have to be out buying Kuyu First Light. You know, Kafaru packs. You know, I'm not saying these names because they're not great, or they and they are. You don't have to spend the money on that. I we have a friend that packed a bull out with a uh, fanny pack strapped on with a bungee cord because that's what he had, and he got it done. Is that the most efficient way? No. Did it get it done? Yes. Did he want to go elk hunting, and did he kill a bull? I mean, he did, and he got done what he needed to. So I'm not saying, but if you're planning on doing this for years to come. And you want to have an enjoyable first experience. If you don't have a good first experience, you will never have a second experience. Boots in a pack will make it. Will make your life nice. I mean, I mean yep. don't good spend base, money you don't good, have. And good base layers too. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and a, and a good bow and sling and everything. You know? Yeah, yeah. Being yeah, cold and wet, <laughs> right out. Being cold and wet, you could just say, you know what, sit in my tent all day. Now, is that really hunting? No. But you could. There's ways around it. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. But, uh, yeah. No, that's, those are good good options there. A uh, couple of packs we mentioned, and there's plenty of them out there. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna drive home tomorrow. Justin's leaving at first light. We're getting up about first light and going in, grabbing a shower in town at the local laundry mat, and and then heading out. We're gonna stop in Wyoming and see my brother's on antelope hunt there. Spend a night with him. It's a little bit of a get get a first leg of the trip not try to do it in one time we drove out here 31 hours straight after working Lots. nine ten hours and michael had an extra five hour drive just to meet us oh yeah but now our 31 i think ended up being 33 yeah plus your five hours 38 hours straight driving even when you have three people switching off you don't get good sleep in a vehicle it's rough so we're gonna try to you know take it a little bit slower this time and get back and be ready because we all have to work on monday woo Justin, his work is going to be uh, filming a whitetail hunt now. He's switching gears now. Yep, I'm going from uh, the Western style now for up until January. It'll be pretty much all whitetails. Um, I have to go. Actually, it's kind of funny. These guys have a 30-hour drive. Mine's somewhat similar. I have to go to Ohio. Um, I'm still on the road for another two weeks here. I got um, a hunt in Ohio to film and a hunt in Missouri to film. And then I get to go back home and sleep in my own bed for a few nights and I'm not wishing time away, but man, am I looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah. How many days have you been on the road? It'll be total when I get home, 56. Man. Yeah. Hey. Been, I'm not going to, I'm going to ride the whole thing out with no, with not a single hotel room. Heck yeah. So, That's awesome. Yeah. So cool. Um, I do know I can't wait for pizza. Oh yeah. I want some food. Our, nice shower. We've done decent with um, our food on the trip. I felt like it was pretty dialed in for the, the the trip. I felt good. I felt, you know, I didn't put as many miles on as I had in the past. And I think that's some more brains than, than just trying to do grip. But, um, yeah, on the way home, we're going to eat like shit. And we're going to eat as much greasy stuff as possible because that's just what we're in the mood to do. And we'll, we'll recover next week. Yeah, I, I do got to take it easy a little bit, though, because I got to turn around, come back to Colorado, I can't be too banged up. Yep. But yeah. I'll I think it was, hit it hard it was funny weekend. today. We kind of had that, like, last afternoon talk, 
And so I don't know who even brought up food, man. But all of a sudden, next thing you know, we're all like bonding over uh, toaster strudels. Yeah. <laughs> how we heat up the, the frosting yep. for it and everything because we're all just so, you know, ready for real. That was a tip this. I learned. I've never done that. That's a hot it tip. kind of pisses yeah. me off. I That's never did that tip. before. Hey. Go ahead and tell it, Michael. Oh, the toaster strudel. Uh, so if you're going to have toaster strudel. If there's one takeaway, something you should write notes down on, this is it. Yeah, listen up. Here we go. (laughs) So I know people do it. I know this is a thing because I did not come up with this. But you're already eating toaster strudel in your toaster. And Justin's like, you know what? I warm mine up in microwave. And Bo's like, I just eat it cold because he's weird. That's a rookie mistake. Not the toaster strudel. We're talking about the frosting. The frosting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still a rookie mistake. Yeah, yeah, cold frosting. That's just, that's mind blowing. Justin goes, he's like, I'm an eight second guy in a microwave. Open it up a little bit, you know, giving all these tips. I'm like, I put it on the toaster. I flip it halfway. I'm using the toaster already. It's hot. Warm up my warm up my toaster strudel. I guess icing, and we go to town. And and I still think I would like to get a hold of them and tell them offer a two icing pack variety at Walmart. I'd buy it. I'd I buy know it. for sure. Yeah, two packs per strudel instead of just one. <laughs> yeah. That's bullshit because you spread it out. It's too thin. <laughs> you put it on in the way that they make it look fancy when the little guy's sitting on there freaking squeezing it out. And then you, you have bare spots. And if you have bare spots, that just really pisses you off. Yeah, you get one corner that's good. Your next corner's dry. And you're like, oh, man, what is this? Now I got caught in mouth. Shit. <laughs> if you guys can't sense our frustrations... Of yeah. eating freeze-dried food for the last two weeks, and now we're bonding over toaster strudels. Yeah. yeah. Uh, bars, as great as they can be, and freeze-dried meals, as great as they can be, and, and making do with what the, what we do have, and being semi-close to town. I know I've gotten a couple bags of pretzels brought to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but a toaster strudel, pizza, I know we said Chipotle. Chipotle. Um, you know, there's just been some that we just been... I know we had a whole conversation on lasagna the other night. Lasagna, yeah. yeah around like, the fire, oh, how good food that conversation. Trying to figure out how to dehydrate that. Yeah. yeah. We kind oh. of, yeah, we were working on it for a while. I don't yeah. know if we ever came to anything. We, we went down to some de- some uh, rabbit holes on the food, that's for dang sure. Yep. 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 So, all right, guys. Uh, I think we're going to end this here. This is the, the recap of the Idaho elk hunt. And... Yeah, I really have nothing else to say other than thanks, guys, for making an enjoyable trip. Thanks for the pack out. Thanks for everything. It's been fucking awesome. Heck yeah, it's been yep. a great trip. All right. Peace out. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.